please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, if you're visiting with us, there's a chair, uh, a Bible in the chair in front of you, a black Bible. You can pull that out and go to the back of that black Bible. And the back of that uh, renumbers the New Testament. So if you go to the, that, take that black Bible, go to the back and find page 16. Page 16. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew's Gospel chapter 19. Starting in verse 27. Matthew 19, 27. Again, page 16 in that black Bible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. We're actually going to go into chapter 20 because the parable here uh, of the labors in the vineyard, it goes along with chapter 19, verses 27 to 30. So an unfortunate chapter break, they, they go together. And you'll see why in a few moments. But I'm going to read uh, from chapter 19, verse 27 to chapter 20, verse 16. Chapter 19, verse 27 Then answering, Peter said to him, Look, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on the throne of his glory, you also will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms because of my name shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. And many first will be last. And last first for, chapter 20, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a man, a landowner, who went out early in the morning and to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever's right, I will give you. And they went, verse 5. Again, he went out about the sixth, and the ninth hour, and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, going out, he found others standing. And he said to them, why have you been standing here all day idle? Uh, they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. Now, when the evening had come, the Lord of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and, and pay them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Verse 9, And when those about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those first came, they thought they would receive more. Uh, but they also received each one a denarius. And receiving it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These men have worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us who borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But answering, he said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give to this last man the same as to you. Verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye evil 
because I am good. Thus, the last shall be first and the first last. I'm going to do something a little different this morning just to throw you off. I'm just kidding. Um, I need the kids from 12 down, so Vicente, that does include you. Vicente, no. Uh, uh, kids from 12 down, come over here. Come here. And, and I want some of the kids, Mercy, you can sit there. You guys come here, come here. Caleb, Karis. Oh, Jaden and Chloe's not here. Oh, bummer. You guys come over, sit right here. You guys sit right here. Oh, you can sit right there. You can sit right there. Okay, come and sit right here. Sit right here. Sit right here. Okay. When I was a kid, I, I was like a little kid. You guys sit right here. You guys sit right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The, I, they used to do this all the time when I was a kid at a Southern Baptist church. And I asked my wife, I said, did they ever do this? They said, no. So I'm going to do a story time with them. So, and you can all listen. Because the microphone will be on. Okay, so here's a story. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I need something here. Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay. Story time. Once upon a time, there was this guy. He owned a vineyard. You know what a vineyard is? They grow grapes. Do you guys like grapes? Now, these grapes were like this big. They were huge. And they were so sweet. They were so good. She so had this vineyard. It was a huge, huge area with all these grapes. Now, now, that day, he had to get the work done. There was these guys coming that night that were going to pick up all the grapes, okay? So he said, okay, what am I going to do? So it's five o'clock in the morning. That's really early, huh? So he gets up at five. He goes out into town. He drives in town, gets his truck. He goes out into town about 5.30 in the morning. He sees these guys standing around. He says, okay, look, can you guys come work for me and harvest, get, pick up all these grapes, okay? And he tells him, he says, if you guys come and do this, I'm going to give you three of these. $300. Would you want $300? Okay, yeah. Caleb's like, yeah, dad. Okay. Anyway. So they're like, yeah, we want to do that. We'll do it. So he says, okay, hop in my truck. So he gets them in his truck. They load them in. Now it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, okay? So now they're working all in his field. Now the owner's looking. It's like 8 o'clock now. It's about breakfast time. He's looking. He's like, there's no way I'm going to get this all done. So now it's about 9 o'clock in the morning, okay? So then he goes back out into town, and he sees more workers. He says, hey, will you guys come work for me? I, I need you to get all these grapes. And they said, okay. He says, oh, and I'll pay you what, what I'm supposed to pay you. So they go, okay. So they get in his truck, so he drives up there, and they start working. Well, now he's looking, he's like, oh, man. So at about lunchtime, about 12, he does the same thing. Three o'clock in the afternoon, does the same thing. Well, now it's five o'clock. The guys were gonna pick up the drapes, you know? They're coming at 6.30. So we had to be done by six. He's like, what am I gonna do? So it's five, it was almost five o'clock. I know, I'm gonna go back out and see if I got any more workers. So he goes back out. He sees more workers. He says, hey, what you guys been doing? No one hired us, we're just standing around. So he's like, well, get in my truck. I'll have you guys work for me. So he get in his truck. It's about five o'clock, so they get out there. They're working. Six o'clock hits. It's done. They got all the grapes. She's like, awesome. So the owner, 
he has this manager who's, who's watching out all the workers and everything. He says, hey, can, come here. So he says, get all the workers together and then I'm gonna pay them. But start with the guys that I hired at five and then go all the way back to the guys I hired at six in the morning, okay? So, okay. So the guys that hired at five o'clock, they only work for one hour. He gives them three of these. They got $300 for working only one hour. That's, they're like, wow, this is awesome. So then, put this back. Don't take my money. So then, the guys, remember who were hired first in the morning? Remember those guys? They looked, they said, they got $300. Maybe he's going to give us like $600 or maybe $700. So they're excited. But then when the payment comes out, they only get 300 bucks. They're like, hey, we worked all day. These guys only worked for one hour. How come they got paid but we got paid? And the older he, owner, he, he pulls one of the guys and he says, hey, pal, hey, buddy, hey, Mac, I didn't do you any wrong. Remember, what did he say he was going to pay them? 300 bucks. Three of these. So I, I told you, remember, you agreed to that. Can, can I do what I want with my money? It's my money. If I want to pay these guys more and pay you, this, this is what it's supposed to be. So here's the lesson. Listen. God is gracious all the time and he's good. God will never be unfair. Never. He's gracious. You guys understand that? Let's pray. Let's pray together, okay? I pray for these young ones, some older than others. Father, we pray for them that they would see the grace of God shown in Jesus Christ. And God, you showed your grace in Jesus dying for us and resurrecting. May they turn and trust him. And may they know that, God, you are a gracious and you're a good God. And you will never be unfair. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, you can go back and say, thanks. Oh, my legs fell asleep. Holy cow. (laughs) Old man. Okay. So now you get the the not so intense version here. I'm just kidding. Bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And here in Matthew's gospel in this section, Matthew wants us to see and Jesus will graciously reward you. And that art adverb is very important, graciously. Jesus will graciously reward you. Jesus will graciously reward you. Let me give you a long statement to this. When we bow down and worship Jesus, we are promised that he will richly reward us, but he also warns us, excuse me, that his reward is given all by his grace. Salvation is all by God's grace. 
All of God's acts toward us is by His sheer grace, not merit-based. It's all grace. You see this huge, stark, ginormous contrast between the, the rich young man and the disciples. Remember last week, the rich young man? Jesus said, sell everything, come follow me. Self-sacrifice. There's a lack of sacrifice. He didn't want to do that. He walked away. Versus the disciples' allegiance to Jesus. We talked about that last week. It's total allegiance to Jesus, right? But what would be their reward? Jesus definitely promised them reward, yet also wanted them to realize that God was sovereign with his reward. It's all his grace. Grace means undeserved favor or unmerited favor. Jesus was radical in his teaching. Radical when he taught about divorce. Radical when he talked about riches. And this teaching radically shook the disciples. But they were loved by God, which was all God's grace to them. Earthly pursuits are temporal, and in the end, those things will be last, though in this life, it may look like that they're first. But for those who have set their sights on God and following Jesus, they will be first. They will be the first. Yet we must be careful. We must be careful of grumbling how others who come into God's kingdom are rewarded. God graciously and in all his goodness rewards his own without comparison. He rewards according to his just, fair, righteous, loving, gracious ways, not ours. And this should spur us on towards praise, thanks, and motivation. This should motivate us to worship him. This should motivate us. It's all your grace. You've been so gracious to me. It should be something that motivates us towards worshiping him and giving him the praise that he deserves when we don't deserve anything. That's why it's called grace. But notice that phrase, he rewards according to his just, fair, righteous, loving, gracious ways. Not our ways. Now the passage can be split up into two different points. Here's the first point. Jesus promises great reward. Chapter 19, 27 to 30. He promises that. It's a promise. Notice how it begins. Peter. Remember, on the tail end of this, after this whole thing with the rich man, he, Jesus calls him for, to total allegiance, and Peter, he answered saying, look, we've left everything and followed you. What this guy did not do, we did. And Peter was the spokesman for the other guys. They did leave everything to follow Jesus. What then will be our reward, the result? What about us? Verse 28, And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit 
on the throne of his glory, you also will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice something right at the get-go. Notice how Jesus did not rebuke Peter for thinking that reward was a good motive to follow him. He didn't rebuke him and say, you shouldn't think about reward and be thinking about that as a, as a motive to follow me. He didn't rebuke him for that. God will reward all those who followed the Son, His Son. And specifically for the 12, they would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This will be their specific future reward. The cost of discipleship, of following Jesus, of being a Christian is high, but is well worth it in the end. Great reward will come to you. And for them, these 12, aside from Judas, at the eschaton, the last things, notice Jesus says there will be a regeneration of all these things, a renewal. It will be in that time that the disciples would rule or govern Israel. This will happen when the fullness of the kingdom comes. God will bring the future renewal of all creation. Promised in uh, Romans chapter 8. Oh, we just got through finishing studying Romans chapter 8. At the end, all things will be made new. And at that time, the 12 disciples would judge Israel in the final judgment, but also rule them with Christ, which is prophesied specifically in Daniel chapter 7. And I personally would take the view that this is in the millennial kingdom. Which justifies that there will be a national conversion of Israel in the last days. Where they trust Jesus to be their Messiah. So the future reward for these followers would far outweigh their sacrifice to be Jesus' disciple. So what's a good motivation to to sustain under present suffering? What's a good motivation to persevere under your distress? A good motivation is future reward. And notice what Jesus does here in verse 29. Look at verse 29. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms because of my name. Now he expands it out. The future reward is not just for the 12 disciples. It's for all of us. Not only will the 12 disciples be rewarded, but all who've left everything to follow Jesus will be rewarded. All who've sacrificed everything. And look at what he specifies. Stuff and relationships for Jesus, for Christ. They leave family and possessions to be a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. Their sacrifice will be rewarded exponentially. Notice what he says here. Shall receive many times as much and inherit eternal life. A rich reward indeed they'll receive. So, Christian, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart, dear Christian, amid your great suffering and distress. The Lord will richly reward you for being faithful to Him. 
you may think it's just not worth it. But it is. It is. The reward is there for you. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Stay faithful in the midst of the suffering and then the lostness and the fallenness of the world that we live in that's caving down upon you and you're feeling the weight of it. It's a motivation that keep on. Stay faithful. Don't lose hope. And then look at verse 30. The promise. And many first will be last. And last first. This is a promise. Promise to the 12 disciples, but also promise to us as well. The promise is this. Those who are first will be last, and those last now will be first. The rich man was first now, right? But he'll end up being last. The disciples were last now, but in the end, they will be first. You might miss out on so many things, persecution, distress, suffering, peril, sword. You are considered last now, but in the end, you will be first. Earthly pursuits are temporal. But in the end, those things will be last. They'll fade because you can't take it with you. Though in this life, they may look like that they're first. But for those who have set their sights on God and following Jesus, they will be the first. For the disciples, this name is a promise. But to those who are like the rich man, this is a warning. Don't focus upon the stuff of this life because though you may be first now, in the end, you'll be last. Because the stuff of this life is fading away. And yet, in chapter 20, verse 16, Jesus is going to reverse the phrase. So the disciples were not going to just have a promise, they were also going to be warned not to presume upon God and His grace. So see, there's a, there's a flip side to this. We must also not presume upon God, God's grace toward us. We must not forget the way of the cross and that God is sovereign in how He gives His reward to us. He will reward injustice and grace. What's the way of the cross? God shows his merciful, loving grace, his undeserved favor in Jesus who died on our behalf when we did not deserve it. None of us deserves it. We don't deserve anything. We should be condemned. Remember when we talked about this earlier on in our service about how we, God is just and righteous in all his ways and we want to go our own way? But, but he sent his son who died on behalf of sinners, physically rose from the dead. That's his grace. 
That's all it's grace. Don't presume upon that. That's the way of the cross. God shows us his grace. Unmerited favor. He's gracious to us. Which leads us into the second main point. Jesus warns of presumption. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, the parable, which further answers Peter's question. Yes, they'll be first in the end, but they also must not take for granted God's grace and selfishly seek themselves. They're warned of grumbling. One writer puts it like this, quote, God acts toward us in sheer grace, end quote. Another way to put this, their priority in time, as one writer put it, did not give them some advantage. All reward is God's grace. We worship a, one writer put it like this, a large-hearted Savior who loves the undeserving. Jesus loves people who are undeserving. He welcomes the undeserving. That's the whole whole point of the gospel. When you acknowledge that you're undeserving, that's the first step to becoming a follower of Jesus. We must not think too highly of our longevity in following Jesus or our discipline in following Jesus. We should not be displeased with others who may be equally rewarded despite their lack. We must remember it's all grace. All of it. Everything that you see. It's all God's unmerited favor. And, and, and he, Jesus shows this by the story. Here's this landowner, verse 1 of chapter 20. Went early in the morning, hired laborers. There's five groups of workers, five groups of laborers to work and harvest the grapes. One early in the morning, three groups, uh, at nine, noon, and then f- uh, 3 p.m. respectively. And the last group at five. And he agreed with the first group he's going to pay them a denarius, which that was a normal day's wage. I kind of blew it up for the kids, you know, 300. Who's going to get 300 bucks? That's, that's quite a few money. A few money. Not, not too bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it's on the low end, but it's not like on the high end either. But, you know, not bad, 300 bucks. Why was this needed? It was urgent. Grapes need to be harvested quickly. And for these workers who live in a society where there's no welfare, there's no unemployment, there's no unions, if you don't work, you don't eat. So he went to the marketplace, the most likely center of activity in the village, sees the workers, does that again at 9, then at 12, then at 3 p.m. And then at verse 6, 11th hour he went out, found others standing. Why have you been standing here idle all day long? No one hired us. You go into the vineyard. And look at verse 8. Now when evening had come, literally the Lord of the vineyard. And by the way, this Lord, the owner, it represents God. It depicts God. He called the foreman, pay them, but start from the last and then go to the first. So the last workers, they worked for an hour, but they got a whole day's wage. That was a big deal. They would have been like, this is awesome. 
This is wonderful. We got a day's wage for working only one hour, and which is why it says later, the ones who were first, hired first, they got all excited. They said, wow, we're going to get more money then. But notice the end of verse 10. They also received each one a denarius. Well, they didn't like that. They started to grumble. They, forgetting the agreement they made with the landlord, they expected to be paid more. Look at verse 11. They grumbled. And to verse 12 saying, these last men have worked for one hour. You, you made them equal to us who've, not, who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Their comment is this. This is unfair. This was unjust. They were jealous of what others were given. They envied his generosity. One writer made this statement. It's a daunting statement. Listen, quote, It is frightening to realize that our identification with the first workers reveals how loveless and unmerciful we basically are. We may be more under law in our thinking and less under grace than we realize. God is good and compassionate far beyond his children's understanding. End quote. So true. Look at how the landowner respond. Look at verse 13. But answering said to one of them, friend, and that means you're an associate not really conveying warmth or even intimacy, which is why when I said it with the kids, hey, pal, hey, Mac, hey, buddy, hey, bub, just kind of, friend, hey, pal, I'm, I have no malice towards you, no hard feelings. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? But the landowner had not done anything wrong to those first workers because they agreed to a denarius at the very outset. Remember? Kids picked up on that real fast. They knew it. And then look at what he says, verse 14. Literally, take what is yours and go. You have no right to say anything about this because I've done what was agreed. And then the statement here at the end of verse 14, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. I, I want to do this. For his own personal reasons, if he wanted to pay those who worked for an hour the same as the ones who worked for a whole day, he can because it's all his anyways, right? If he wants to be generous to the last group, what's it to them? Friends, this is grace. God freely gives. God is so generous. God is so kind. That's why the landowner depicts God. Because God is generous. God is gracious to us. This concept that we deserve this 
It, it's not of God. It's not even a biblical concept. You deserve nothing. We are unworthy. And yet he welcomes the unworthy and the undeserving. And he loves us anyways. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the way of the cross. It's his money. It's lawful for him to use it as he sees fit and as he chooses. Look what he says in verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I, with, what, what I, what I wish with what is my own? Now, it, it's not to say that God is capricious or does things on a whim. One writer puts it like this. God, quote, has his own criteria in which we in our moral sight and selfish aim, we cannot comprehend. Because we think on a merit base. Basis. We think this way. He acted in a just, legal, righteous manner. What has he done wrong? Nothing. And then look at this. He asked these two rhetorical questions. First, is it not lawful for me to do this? And then look at the second question there in verse 15. Or is your eye, and it's translated envious because I am generous. Literally, is your eye evil because I am good? You know what's so interesting about that? When Jesus mentions this in the parable, what was the question that the rich young man asked Jesus? What good thing must I inherit, must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. God is good, which means what? We are not. We are not good. But he's gracious anyways. Just as the landowner is good, so it's a reminder to the disciples of God's great goodness to us. Do they have any right to display envy? He was fair to the ones who worked all day and generous to the ones who worked for only an hour. No, actually, he was gracious to both because in all reality, he didn't have to hire any of those guys. What makes you think that you deserve God to save you? What makes you think that you deserve to be rewarded by God? If you think that, I'm sorry, you're a fool. You've been duped. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe anything to anybody. Why? Because he's God. Anything that he does, everything that he does will be just, righteous, and true. We, we, we can't say anything. Which is why Jesus takes that statement from chapter 19, verse 30, and he goes, Look at verse 16. Thus, the last shall be first and the first last. Chapter 19, verse 30. The first first will be last and the last first. But then he switches it. Why? He's warning his disciples. 
We are not entitled to anything. It's all Jesus' grace. You're not entitled. Priority and time and your trusting of Christ doesn't mean a thing. It's all by God's grace. But these workers objected to his generous grace. Friends, we need to be careful that we don't presume upon God thinking that we should get more than what he gives us. It's all this grace, we deserve nothing. You sound like a broken record. Uh, sorry, all of you like 30 and under might not know what I'm talking about. Well, I guess they're now making records again, vinyl records, if it's a needle that spins. So, yeah, my son doesn't know what I'm talking about. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, I'm repeating myself a lot. There you go. There's another way to say that. I probably sound like I'm repeating myself constantly over and over and over again. I am because that's what we have to get through our heads because we have a sense of entitlement. What would truly be fair? What would truly be fair for God? What would be truly fair is if God saved no one, we all go to hell and no one is rewarded. That's fair. That's fair. But as I said to the kids, God will never be unfair. Never. He can't. It's outside his nature. But in reality, God is gracious to us all. Praise God that he does not deal with us on a merit basis. He shows us as his people grace. And yet, unfortunately, we're we're, we're prone to think in terms of meriting our way into the kingdom. God doesn't need to save us. He offers us salvation. He grants us the ability, but then it's like we expect it from him. My mom loves to tell the story about when I was a kid and when I, kids would come to the door and I would ask them, did you bring me a present? A birthday gift for my birthday? Because yeah, it was my birthday. So we were having a birthday party for me and I made sure some kid had a birthday present for my birthday party. We come to expect that from God. Oh, that's so wonderful. So God graciously gives but then we come to the place where we start expecting, even demanding from him that we're owed. And I say we, because I do this too. Maybe none of you do that. Yes, service to God and following Jesus will be rewarded, but we must not grumble or complain in how God chooses to reward others. I get this question all the time. If someone is on their deathbed, having lived like the devil all their lives, but she or he truly repents and trusts Christ, they will be saved. Yes. Yes. That could have happened to Adolf Hitler. Yes. Because you deserve it more than him? You deserve nothing from God. But we think 
because I believe we're fallen, we think on a merit basis. No. God, God doesn't work that way. When we bow down and worship Jesus, we're promised that he'll richly reward us, but he also warns us that his reward is given all by his grace. Salvation is all by God's grace. All of God's acts toward us is by his sheer grace. It's not merit-based. It's because of what Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. That's what we're seeing in the book of Hebrews on Wednesday. We saw that just this past Wednesday. Who Jesus is and what he's done is based upon him. His work, his death, his personhood, not me and not you. We must be careful of grumbling how others who come into God's kingdom are rewarded. God graciously and in all his goodness rewards all without comparison. He rewards according to his just, fair, righteous, loving, gracious ways, not ours. Which is why this this spurs us on, at least it should, spurs on towards praise, towards thanks, motivates, it should motivate you to worship. Let me give you an opportunity to do that. Through singing, Grace Unmeasured will be the song that we'll sing in just a few moments. Grace, grace, paid for my sins and brought me to life. It's all his undeserving grace. What's interesting, we'll look at this next week. You know, Jesus says this to disciples, you know, gives them the story. And then he predicts his death. And then you got the two Zebedee clowns who had the audacity to ask Jesus, we want to sit on your left and right. What? Were you not even listening to what I just said to you guys? It's just striking the, the place where all this happens in Matthew's gospel. It anticipates the self-serving, self-seeking question from the Zebedee sons who are still thinking on merit base type stuff. No. Jesus will graciously reward us. Graciously reward us. Can we pray together? And Lord God, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that, uh, for thinking on a merit basis. Merit base basis. No. It's all your grace. You've been so gracious to us. And may your grace free us. May it free us. May we be so overwhelmed by your grace 
that your very grace spurs us on to holiness and godly living. Not based out of merit. Not to try and maintain our salvation. But as an expression of our worship, our love, our devotion, how we have total allegiance to you, Lord Jesus. Yes, allegiance to you. And thank you, Jesus, that as we're faithful to you, you will reward us. Graciously reward us. I want to encourage you at this time to take just these few moments, about a minute or so, a couple minutes, for you to ponder and think and let God's word infiltrate your thinking. Let your mind dwell on these things. And, and we'll do our worshiping and our giving, worship through song, praying. We'll do all that, but I want to encourage you at this time just these few moments to let your mind think on the things of what we've seen in God's word this morning.